0: This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bauerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD,
1: where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. I'm Jennifer Milner, here with co host Dr. Linda Bluestein. Before we introduce today's guest, we'd like to first remind you about how you can help us help you. First, subscribe to the Bendy Bodies podcast and leave us a review. This is helpful for raising awareness about hypermobility and associated disorders. Second, share the Bendy Bodies podcast with your friends, family, and providers. We really appreciate you helping us grow our audience in order to make a meaningful difference. This podcast is for you. Our very special guest today is Janice Mitchell, licensed physical therapist, founder of MyPFM, president of Integrity Rehab and administrator of Integrity Home Health. She graduated from Loma Linda University with her Bachelor of Life Sciences and Master of Physical Therapy degrees. Practicing since 1995, Janice has worked in a variety of settings, including inpatient and outpatient orthopedic neurologic rehab, acute rehab facilities, skilled nursing facilities, home health, long-term care, and sports medicine clinics. Janice's area of expertise is pelvic floor rehab for men, women, and children. So, Janice, my first question for you then is, how did you become so passionate about education and about pelvic floor?
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, first, let me just say thank you for the honor to be on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. And I talk really fast and I have a lot to share, so I'll try I'll try <laughs> not to go too fast. <laughs> so basically, you know, I graduated in 95 and at that time, pelvic health was not discussed in schools and physical therapy school. We, we didn't dissect the pelvic floor and gross anatomy or anything. I had my first baby in 1999. And at that time, I saw a little ad for a course, a pelvic health course in a PT journal. And so I went to that course to get help for myself after my own pelvic floor dysfunctions as a result of my first baby. And then that was really transformative personally and professionally. Like understanding our anatomy and our body and how it works and I felt like wow I have this information now how can I not share this with others other people need to know this and so that's really been the start of my passion for pelvic health
1: yeah it there's always some sort of personal connection right when you experience it for yourself then you go oh my goodness everybody needs to know about this how can I share that information and talk about it that's great so let's have you share that information what what is the pelvic floor and, and why specifically should bendy people be interested in this topic? Yes, so most of the people here, I think are gonna be listening. So if you could just
2: envision a hammock, and so you have a hammock that's attached to the front and the back, like a, a tree, right? And the pelvic floor is like a hammock. It literally connects to the front of the pelvis at the pubic bone, stretches back to the tailbone, and then it uh, connects side to side. And it's, it, it's like a little miniature trampoline there at the base of your pelvis. So it holds up your pelvic organs. So most female bodies would have a bladder, a uterus and a rectum. And so the pelvic floor muscles are one element to help keep those organs in place. Um, the pelvic floor muscles also help to control our bladder outlet, our bowel outlet. So if they're, the muscles aren't doing the right thing at the right time, then all kinds of things can happen uh, that I think we're going to dive deeper into. But bendy bodies specifically are generally more hypermobile, more flexible. And so there's a lot of exciting research that's happening, but basically, uh, putting potentially they're more at risk for that pelvic floor uh, like our little trampoline like that trampoline might get stretched out a little bit more or it doesn't rebound up quite as well um, and some of the ligaments and so forth that integrity can be affected the collagen the fascia so all of these structures work together to provide that stability and support and that's why bendy bodies would I think especially be interested in some of the information we're going to share today
1: Mm. And so I know we're going to go in depth in a little bit here, but what kind of problems show up in the pelvic floor? You mentioned um, mm-hmm. supporting the organs and you mentioned um, sort of controlling the, the urinary tract. Um, but are there other things that might be problems?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at it kind of let's let's look at it from a muscle dysfunction standpoint if you kind of interlock your fingers together so this is an advantage for people that are watching this on youtube where you can see it but basically if you on a muscular level if you're when you go to make a muscle contraction those fibers glide together to make that firm hard contraction and then when you relax they return to baseline and then those muscle fibers should also be able to stretch So the pelvic floor muscles are a voluntary muscle group and they're designed to to, when you contract for those muscle fibers to, to glide together, relax and stretch. If the muscle fibers are too lengthened or too stretched out, then you can have issues with uh, urinary leakage, bowel leakage, gas leakage, pelvic organ prolapse, and so forth. So those are weak kind of overstretched muscles. That hammock is stretched out. But you can also have overactive pelvic floor muscles that you might have pain, but you could also have some of those same things with urinary leakage or pelvic organ prolapse. So you really want the pelvic floor muscles to do the right thing at the right time. They need to be able to completely and correctly contract, but they also need to be able to lengthen and let go.
1: Interesting. So it's so easy for us to think about, um, I know when I need to go see a doctor about my calf muscle because it hurts or because I can't walk, right? Something that is very easy for me to say, oh, that's my calf muscle, it bothers me. But I think for a lot of us, um, we don't think about, oh, this is an issue um, I must go get my pelvic floor checked out. Because sometimes you'll say, oh, I just, uh, my bladder was too full. And so when I sneezed, that's why um, that's why I had some leakage. Or people might say, oh, I just have a hard time getting strength here. And that's just me, that I'm just weak. So we don't automatically think about our pelvic floor and think, oh, I should go seek out help for it. So a few of the things that you listed were um, issues with coughing and sneezing. What else would be the type of thing that would make someone go, maybe I should go get my pelvic floor checked out. Uh-huh. Like the symptoms. So
2: constipation, straining, really having difficulty to have a bowel movement, pain. So pain with urination, pain with intercourse, uh, whether it be, so if it's penetrative vaginal intercourse or pain with orgasms, um, also difficulty emptying the bladder, urinary urgency, urinary frequency, bladder pain, bowel pain, all of those are warning signs. Now there may be other things going on too, but definitely if you're having pain kind of in between the belly button and the hips, uh, the pelvic floor may very well be involved. Even hip pain and low back pain and sacroiliac pain can be a warning sign of pelvic floor dysfunctions. You have a muscle inside your pelvis called the obturator internus muscle. It's a hip muscle technically, but it really shares a fascial attachment with the pelvic floor. And so uh, a lot of times with hip pain and sometimes even with pelvic pain, that obturator internus is is affected and a regular PT really isn't going to be able to go in and access and, and identify and provide great interventions for the obturator internist. So that's another sign that a pelvic health physical therapist would be a good
0: check. That's super interesting for our dancers, especially because they, of course, are using their hips a lot and uh, in external rotation a lot if they're doing classical ballet, for example. And so they may be having, uh, I think, you know, more of those types of symptoms. So that's uh, probably... Sp- particularly important for that population.
1: Absolutely. I I also see um I when I train dancers on their turnout, I I check on their pelvic floor within my scope, obviously. I check on their pelvic floor strength and release work as well. And I see a lot of dancers will actually be a little hypertonic in their pelvic floor. Like they have trouble releasing it completely. And their their obdurators are also turnout muscles that we train, that we want to train and want to be able to use, but the pelvic floor work that I do breath wise and contraction wise, it's just as important for them to learn how to release it and let go as well. So for dancers and athletes, it's not just your pelvic floor. It's also the thing, like you said, that connects to the hip or that works with your turnout, or it's something that you really use every day in your art as well. And not just just you know not just exactly. in your body. no,
2: you're right. you're right. And the pelvic floor is part of the core. So if you think about your core, the top is the diaphragm, the front are your deep abdominal muscles, the back, your deep low back muscles, and then at the bottom are your pelvic floor. So pressure management and breathing and how you do things is super important not just for your abdominals and your back, but also for the pelvic floor.
1: Now, in, at the beginning, you mentioned one of the things a pelvic floor does is sort of support your organs and hold it up. And so I wanted to just bring up pelvic organ prolapse. And can you talk about that really briefly and why this is particularly relevant, again, for hypermobile folks?
2: I don't know how brief it's gonna be. I have a lot, a lot to <laughs> share on this <laughs> So, okay, I'll try to be brief then. Uh, So basically, if you think about the pelvic organs, remember we have the bladder, uterus, and rectum for most female bodies, and each of those organs has a little canal or tube that uh, goes to the outside, and it goes right through that hammock of pelvic floor muscles, okay? So pelvic organ prolapse is basically where one or more of those organs is starting to drop or descend into the vaginal canal and so it can go so let the bladder is the most common so the bladder would start to drop so if you've ever heard of a bladder drop or your mom or your grandma had a bladder suspension surgery that's what this was for that was for pelvic organ prolapse so the bladder can start to drop into that vaginal canal and it can go in or even bulge. Depending on the level of descent outside of the vaginal canal. And then you can have multi compartment prolapse, where you might have the bladder, uterus, and rectum all starting to drop. And this population is especially prone for that, like we were talking about, that very stretchy connective tissue. I want to give you one more kind of analogy that I think would be helpful. So if you think about a bungee. But a person, like when you go to an amusement park or something, think about a bungee uh, jumping on a trampoline. So you know how you have kids or adults that get kind of, um, you get strapped into the bungee and then you're able to jump up and down on that trampoline. So the trampoline is your pelvic floor. You, the person that's jumping, that's a pelvic organ. And then those bungee cords, those are your pelvic ligaments that help to keep those organs up too so it's not just the pelvic floor and then looking at the collagen content and collagen three and we're not going to go you know dive deep into that research today but looking at that potential impact and that this population may have more of that collagen three and making even those ligaments less supportive of those organs and then affecting that pelvic floor from below
1: so that was my brief explanation That was fantastic, that was an excellent illustration that makes a huge amount of sense and was very clear, thank you. Um, So you mentioned earlier as well, um, seeking out physical therapy, what sort of things could pelvic floor physical therapy help with?
2: So bladder issues, whether it be leaking, Uh, And I also just want to say this, like a lot of times people think, oh, leaking, that means that you're wearing a diaper. No, even if you're leaking a few drops, if you cough or sneeze, or even if you're, you leaked a little bit, like you were exercising and you went to the bathroom and you realized, oh, you know, I had some urine leakage that is leaking. So anytime that urine or gas or stool is coming out when you didn't intend it to, that's a warning sign that your body isn't, your pelvic floor and your body isn't doing the right thing at the right time now does that mean that everyone always that has a drop of urine ever in their life has to go see a pelvic pc no but if it's an ongoing and persistent issue likely it's not going to get better on its own and it's a warning sign that the muscles aren't doing the right thing so uh, bladder and bowel leakage um whether you feel it or whether you don't really rushing to the bathroom so that's one type of leakage called urinary um urgency. And, um, then we have pain. So hip pain, tailbone pain, remember your pelvic floor muscles connect right to that tailbone. And so if they're overactive or hypertonic, like we were discussing earlier, that can actually be putting a pull on that tailbone and be uncomfortable, uh, pubic bone pain, pain with any kind of insertion. And then again, pain with, um, urination or bowel movements or even pain with orgasm hip pain, low back pain, pelvic organ prolapse. Some of the symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse would be like a dragging or a heaviness feeling, even grabbing a mirror and looking at yourself and seeing if you see a little vaginal bulge there, um, it's not going to be yellow. Like we think, Oh, the bladder's yellow. Well, number one, the bladder itself really isn't even yellow urine, you know, but in a lot of our illustrations and animations, we, we make the bladder yellow and the, the bowel brown just for ease of identification and teaching. But basically with pelvic organ prolapse, that bladder can kind of drop down into that canal and make it really difficult to empty the bladder. So if you're someone that's having to shift side to side, forward and back, you know, trying to get that bladder to empty or you, or you stand up and then you have a leakage after you stand, that could be one sign of pelvic organ prolapse or you know some other reason that the bladder isn't emptying all the way and then the same concept with the bowels. So a lot of times people are constipated and they're straining, but if that bowel has kind of dropped into the vaginal canal, it can be creating a little pocket of stool there. And so if you envision that canal that's coming down from the rectum, right? But if you have a little pocket that's uh, off to the side, it can be really difficult to empty that. So, and that's another kind of warning sign that, hey, um, pelvic PC might be indicated.
1: So those sound like a very long list of things that we might (laughs) want to get checked out if we have pelvic floor issues. Um, I know a common misconception sometimes is that people who need to see a pelvic floor specialist would be people who are older, who have had multiple children, uh, especially women of an older age. Um, Is that who you typically see or do you think that this is something that spans all age ranges, especially with hypermobility?
2: Definitely uh, expands all age ranges. In fact, so the youngest person that I've worked with has been three. Generally, we're gonna say age five and above. And then the oldest person has been 94. So that whole all genders, all ages, um, there's, it can, it may look different in different ages and and, uh, different populations might have different types, more prone to different types of dysfunction. Uh, Something that is an interesting study that uh, they did a study of high school females that had never had a baby, and forty percent of them had some kind of urinary leakage. So just because you know, you're in that age range doesn't mean that you're dysfunction free. You could very well be having something something going on with your pelvic floor. And then one other factor here, I think, to consider, going to the hormone impact too. So when you look at estrogen and when our estrogen peaks in our lives, so certainly, uh, you know, in the teenage years, we have huge influx of estrogen, right? And then also third trimester of pregnancy, um, and so estrogen's impact on the tissue makes it more elastic. So especially like if you're if you're in that age range, so you're in teens, and you're a very stretchy person, and then you have all, all that huge amounts of estrogen flowing through your system as well. That's one other factor. Uh, just one other piece of the puzzle as we look
0: at it. And I'm really glad that you mentioned hormones too, because so many people will be uh, perhaps seeing, they may have seen a gynecologist and talking to them about birth control and things. But I feel like gynecologists, in my experience anyway, they don't understand the pelvic floor anywhere near as much as pelvic floor PTs do. Um, I was talking to a gynecologist friend of mine quite a while ago, and and she said i think you know for me specifically she said i think you need to see pelvic floor pt she said for the rest of us the pelvic floor is like a black box
2: <laughs> that's great well maybe not great it's a great analogy <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right, right. So pelvic floor PT is appropriate for so many different things. What kind of things do people come to you for that you think, gosh, I need to refer this person back to their physician, or I need to send them on someplace else. They need some other type of workup. Um, This is not a person that is not appropriate for pelvic floor PT.
2: Yeah. So I would start off here by saying that pelvic floor PT is not a magic pill. Physical therapy isn't a magic pill. Uh, It's going to take work. It's going to take follow through and you wanting to get better and wanting to go through these interventions. So if your mind isn't there and you're thinking this is a waste of time, I don't want to be here, this isn't going to work, then already it's likely not going to be effective. Okay. So that in general, um, you know, there's some red flags that we have. So like unexplained pain or bleeding. So it especially like if you're having constant pain that isn't changed with movements, isn't changed with position, that's really a warning sign. Like you need to dive deeper into this pain and, and where is that coming from? Unexplained weight loss or gain, infection, fever, trauma, that kind of thing. But in general, I would say if I'm working with a patient, I expect to see some kind of improvement within a couple visits. That doesn't mean the symptoms are resolved, but that means we're on the right track. And if I'm not seeing some improvement, then I need to readjust what I'm doing. And if I readjust and I'm not seeing improvement, then if I have some other providers around me, like, okay, I have this ortho PC that's really good at SI or whatever. Hey, come look at this. You know, what do you think? But if I've tried everything that I can do and the symptoms aren't getting better, then I'm going to send them back to the referral source, is it something hormonal, isn't something, you know, else going on with some of the other body systems. So really, you know, I think... I have people reaching out to me, especially on social media, like, Hey, I've been going to pelvic PT for a year and I'm not seeing any improvement. I'm like, Oh, that's heartbreaking. You know, as a, as a PT, I think it's our, any kind of healthcare provider, but it's our responsibility that if we aren't getting our patients, if we're not helping them achieve their goals and get to where they want to be, then it's our responsibility to send them back or to say, Hey, maybe check out this, maybe you need imaging, you know, whatever. Also in terms of when is pelvic floor PT not appropriate? So this isn't necessarily when it's not appropriate, but it's Who's providing it? So making sure that when you are selecting a pelvic physical therapist, that they have gone to advanced training on the pelvic floor. Have they, have they gone to training for intravaginal and intrarectal work? If they haven't, then they really shouldn't be putting their fingers inside your body, right? And there's even massage therapists out there that are doing intravaginal, intrarectal work. So I would really caution you to make sure that you are researching that pelvic physical therapist and it's okay to ask questions like hey what training have you gone through do you have any advanced certifications you would think that this would be regulated everywhere but it's not there's a lot of people out there calling themselves pelvic pts that may not have gone to advanced training and that's important if you go to our website mypfm.com and you click on find a pt we have links to four free searchable databases where you can put in your your zip code and what kind of therapist you're looking for, or, you know, what kind of dysfunction you're having and, and you can see who may be closest to you. And so that's one way that you can search. And then when you find someone, I would definitely recommend reaching out and saying, Hey,
0: you know, asking some of those questions, what kind of certification training and so forth. That makes sense. Those are great points. And, and what about men in terms of how their pelvic floor problems present differently than, uh, than women? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So
2: the same kind of concept exists with the pelvic floor that it stretches front to back and side to side. Now, male bodies are going to have two... Uh, pelvic organs. So we have the bladder and the rectum, and they also have these tubes that go to the outside of the body. Right now, the bladder for male bodies is going to, that urethral outlet is going to go down through the pelvic floor, but then actually goes all the way through the penis. So it has a, it's a much longer that's called the urethra or the urethral outlet. So that's a much longer path to travel to get to the outside of the body. So males can certainly have leakage and urinary urgency and frequency and pain constipation and so forth. Some of the sexual dysfunctions are going to be a little bit different on the male side. So erectile dysfunction sometimes can be a pelvic uh, health issue, pelvic PT issue and premature ejaculation is also
0: another one that you wouldn't see, you know, in female bodies. Okay. So in terms of specific indications or contraindications to pelvic floor PT, are there certain things that we should be aware of there for men specifically?
2: I'm going to share this. So for erectile dysfunction, think about this. Hard health is, is a sign of heart health. Okay. So I don't want people to listen to this and say, Oh, I have ED. I have erectile dysfunction. And my issue is only pelvic health. You really need to get your cardiovascular system checked out, go to the urologist first, but pelvic PT can help a lot of ED, but you wanna make sure that the heart is doing well and that your system is is well. Um, So I think that's one of the big things is the cardiovascular there.
0: Sure, sure, that makes sense. Um, What about some of the common problems that people with hypermobility disorders face? Um, We know that, things like constipation are a lot more common in people that have Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, especially, for example, classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, People can have constipation from a very, very young age. Can you talk a little bit more detail about how you as a pelvic floor physical therapist would treat that or what somebody might expect if they went to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, assuming that they've already seen a physician and, you know, a lot of the other things have been ruled out and Yeah. The red flags are cleared. So we, you know, we'd want to look, look at the pelvic floor.
2: So is it, is it lengthened and weak? Is it overactive and tight and weak? Uh, That's one thing. Uh, Another comment that I'm just going to interject here is that a lot of times people think that a tight muscle is a strong muscle and that is a myth. So that tight muscle is not a strong muscle. If you kind of think about like if you were making a fist and if you kept that fist tight, all the, even five minutes like you go to try to use your hand that's not a strong hand you know that that constant uh, tension there in the muscle fibers that can reduce blood flow that can sometimes even impact the nerves and certainly the fascia and the function so uh understanding that a tight muscle is not a strong muscle so going to constipation and really looking at what are the muscle what are the pelvic floor muscles doing are we having more of the laxity issue or is it more of an overactive hypertonic issue. So that's a really important starting point. But then, so once we've determined that and we do pelvic floor muscle training now, Pelvic floor muscle training, it really depends on the age and on the person's comfort level. So uh, if we're working with teenagers and they're not sexually active and you know we don't want to do anything internal, there's a lot that can still be done externally. Uh, we have a tool that's called biofeedback because I love technology and I love using technology to help train the pelvic floor. So for example, let's say that we have, a 13-year-old that had constipation that wasn't sexually active, and we didn't want to do anything inside. We didn't want to go inside the rectum or inside the vaginal canal. So we use these little electrodes that are kind of like EKG electrodes, which is the heart testing, right, where you put those little stickers on the chest, and then you hook it up to the machine, and you can see the activity of the heart on the screen. It's the same concept with biofeedback, or it's called surface EMG of the pelvic floor muscles. So we can put those little stickers around the outside of the anus and hook it up. And So what we do in our clinic is we would put the little stickers on and then we have the people uh, put their clothes back on because it's kind of an uncomfortable feeling, I think, to be lying there on the table, even though you're covered, a lot of people are more comfortable once they put their own clothes back on. So getting their clothes back on, hooking you up, and then using that as one way to help retrain the pelvic floor, Uh, either working on the strengthening phase, working on the relaxation phase. And then one really key point with constipation too is, are the muscles uh, letting go kind of as the stool is coming out. So if those pelvic floor muscles, if you envision the anus and this is one of the best ways to find your pelvic floor is to grab a mirror and look at your anus. And when you squeeze that anus should kind of pucker up and in, it kind of pulls up and in and then you relax and the anus softens and drops. And that's what should happen during a bowel movement for that anus to kind of relax and soften. But if that anus is tight and closed for whatever reason, maybe it's pain, maybe it's trauma, maybe it's just that it's not coordinated and it doesn't know what to do at the right time. Um, When you go to have a bowel movement, it's like a stop. Like it's like a plug, nothing is getting through there. And so you might have to strain even more and then straining even more may cause those pelvic floor muscles to activate even more. So it's like a vicious cycle. So, um, and think about the impact that that straining is having on the pelvic floor and those surrounding structures. So going back to our bungee trampoline example, the pelvic floor needs to support from below and those ligaments need to support from below. But if we have a lot of force pressing down from above, that's straining those tissues. And over time, that could even contribute to pelvic organ prolapse. So definitely we don't want that. Um, Squatty potty. So many people have heard of the squatting potty, but the squatting position is really effective to help empty the bowels. So our regular sitting position where we have our hips and knees at a 90, 90 degree angle, some people can poop in that position. But if you're having difficulty pooping, try squatting more. So elevating your feet on a couple stools or a squatting potty, I mean, you don't have to go out and buy it. It's only like $30 I think, but still you might have something at home that you can use, stack up a couple books. Um, But that's another key thing and then also I have a post on this that has like 14 different tips for constipation. This constipation could be one whole segment all on its own, but thinking about what you're putting in your mouth, because what you're eating and drinking is going to affect what comes out because it has to wind all all around your digestive system. And so if you have more water and more foods with fiber, like whole grains and fruits and vegetables, that food is going to go through your system easier and it's going to be softer to come out. Because if you're pooping rabbit pellets once a week, <laughs> that isn't a good thing on your digestion system or your pelvic floor, you're likely strained and you may be having pain.
0: So that's some. And that is definitely some of my patients. I cannot believe how many of them are, yes, going once a week. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, and this is maybe a little bit of a side note, but one thing that I wonder about with, and I'm as addicted to my phone as the next person, maybe even worse than the average person, but do you see any differences as people are on their phones more and perhaps bringing their phones into the bathroom with them and maybe, you know, hanging out a little bit longer than they used to? I've, I've heard things from some of my other colleagues about um, perhaps an increase in, you know, some of the, uh, maybe not constipation per se, but uh, like hemorrhoids, for example.
2: Yeah. You know, I don't know. I would love to see some research on that specific topic, um, but... Hanging out on the toilet longer, just think about, think about the position that that pelvic floor is in. So your pants are down, you're sitting, the pelvic floor is just hanging there, right? This hammock is hanging. So it's hanging in an unsupported position, hopefully it's relaxed, but then if you add straining on top of that, it's a very, very vulnerable position. And so the longer that you're sitting there, the longer you're hanging out, uh, the more potential for possible issues there are. And so I've heard some people say, oh, you shouldn't read on the toilet. You shouldn't do X, Y, or Z. In my opinion, it's important to do something that's relaxing. <laughs> so if your phone, if you're looking at emails and all of your to-do lists for the next day, that's probably not the best place for you to be doing that is on the toilet. But if it's something relaxing, you know, that, you know,
0: I don't see a big issue with it. It's more the length of time that you're sitting there. That makes sense. Okay. And what about pelvic pain? Um, that's a super common symptom that that I see in my patients and, you know, hear people talking about. Um, how do you work that up? What kind of things can pelvic floor physical therapy help with um, in terms of pelvic pain in hypermobile people specifically?
2: So that's just so very broad, right? Because pelvic pain can present, it, because I think really the definition of pelvic pain is pain between the umbilicus which is your belly button and like your hips or your knees so it encompasses so many things uh do you want to pick one like tailbone pain or pain with insertion or I guess in general, with whatever the whatever the cause of pelvic pain is, we're going to be looking to see if we can help to reproduce that pain in the assessment. That doesn't mean we're trying to cause you pain, but we want to see if if we can find the pain and if what we're doing reproduces it, then that gives us a much better sense of, okay, let's say that it's pain with insertion. Like if you think about the vaginal canal and that area, that smooth area of skin in between the, uh, that, the opening of the vagina and the anus. And when you press on that smooth area of skin, that area is really painful the sides to that are a little bit painful, but really that area is really painful. So then that gives us a, Okay. Maybe some of the more superficial pelvic floor muscles are involved. If we drop off, maybe some of the more deeper muscles are involved. So we're going to try to find the cause. And then once we find the cause work out an intervention plan. So most of the time, this is going to involve some kind of intravaginal work, but if you're not comfortable for whatever reason with going inside, we can still do a lot of things out externally. So I think that's been kind of a myth in the past, like pelvic PT has to go inside. No, we can do a lot of things externally. So biofeedback is another one of my favorites, hands-on stretching. So like in the clinic where I'm actually working on the tissue, but then I'm teaching the patient as well, how to do some of, whether it's a scar tissue mobilization or perineal massage, massaging the muscles, we use something called dilators. So if, Going inside the vaginal canal is painful, then those dilators are kind of like cylinders that start very small, maybe about the size of a finger, and then they get larger to like the size of a penis, and they're graded, right? So you start small and you work large. And so working with dilators for stretching. If, let's say, the obturator internus is involved, then in the clinic, you know, I'm going inside the vaginal canal and kind of hooking my finger over to the obturator internus. Because if you think of that, pelvic floor kind of being like a hammock, the obturator internus is way over on the side of the pelvis. And so you kind of have to hook over there and get it involved. Um, And then, you know, using a wand. So if we're wanting a patient at home to follow through on some of this, using a wand is a good thing for obturator, deep obturator internus uh, trigger points. And then ultimately function so stretching strengthening coordination exercises and simulating what we're wanting what the patient's goals is so what do they want to do and then helping to simulate that And we may have to break it down into baby activities you know and then grow 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 you know unlikely that you're going to be able to go from zero to 60 in one session but breaking it down into pieces and um ultimately helping to get them to where
0: they want to be. That, that makes sense. And so when it comes to, cause I, I feel like um, when you're talking about insertion, that's a common thing that uh, for my female patients that they definitely have problems with. So that's, so that's very um, helpful. So that could be from a whole lot of different reasons too, right? If they have joint instability in their hips, for example, or something, then um, there could be a lot of different confounding variables that um, so you kind of have to address maybe each one in order to actually get some Im- improvement. Mm-hmm. So
2: exactly, exactly. And I hear Jennifer saying yes, yes, exactly. So uh, <laughs> it's a multifaceted approach, and sometimes you may need other disciplines too. So um, I think it's very helpful to work with nutritionists and dietitians, to work with mental health, you know, to work with behavioral health, and other medical specialists if needed. Look at the hormones.
0: Okay. Sounds good. And, and then let's maybe round out this part by talking about the bladder. So if someone is having problems with bladder leakage or bladder pain, is there some component of the workup that you do differently? Or in terms of the treatment plan, would your approach be a little bit different for that? Absolutely. So let's, let's take leakage. So let's say that when they jump, they leak, they,
2: they're not leaking at any other time. So Again, I'm looking to see: is it is the pelvic floor kind of stretched out and lengthened, or is it overactive and too tight? So. St- starting there, and then uh, addressing addressing whatever component that is, and then really working on the coordination piece. We like to call it a pelvic brace or pre-contraction or a knack, like there's different names out there in the pelvic PT world, but basically engaging that pelvic floor just before you're doing that activity to help brace it. Because if you think about the bladder, it's kind of like a water balloon, and as it fills, it expands the pelvic floor muscles are what is wrapping around that bladder outlet to keep it closed. And so if if they are leaking, let's say with a certain jump, um, the the pelvic floor muscles have the strength and coordination to do what they need to do throughout all the other activities of the day. But when they put that increased pressure, that increased intra abdominal pressure with that jump, the pelvic floor muscles either don't have the strength or the coordination to counteract that force that's happening. And so we're really going to focus on, uh, pre-contractions. And then I would even probably back off. So do a baby jump and then grow that jump. Right. Um, to to be able to be successful and build onto that activity. So that would be from a bladder uh, leak standpoint, that's one piece. And then also looking at just healthy bladder habits. So generally we want the urine to be like a very pale lemonade color. Uh, Generally urinating two to, every two to four hours. So if you're someone that's going every hour throughout the day, then that's called urinary frequency. But if you're someone that's holding it six or seven hours, then that can also be problematic on that side. So, you know, healthy bladder habits, a healthy bowel habits, because the bowels do impact the bladder. And then in terms of the pain. So There's something called like the bladder is the innocent bystander. So like 90% of bladder pain isn't really even coming from the bladder. (laughs) You think that the bladder is the cause, but most of the time it's the pelvic floor muscles are involved. So addressing the pelvic floor muscles and the fascia and the tissue, and don't forget the abdominal wall. Uh, So if you had an abdominal surgery, a cesarean section, uh, any kind of, any kind of scarring there, all of these things can make an impact or even from a cosmetic standpoint. So, so much of our time, we don't want to have a poochy belly, right? So we're guarding and holding that belly in all the time. And are we really ever stretching it out? And so that can cause, that can cause some overactivity there too. And, and one other
1: piece to the puzzle. Mm, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I would add to this, you mentioned that you like to work with a lot of nutritionists and a sort of a, a rounded group of people kind of all working together on this. The other piece, just from my side of the table, is working with someone who does conditioning um, or is in the ballet studio and can watch them because a lot of times dancers' bad habits um, come from perhaps if they have uh, pelvic floor issues, then they get bad habits around that. and as Athletes and artists are trying to address their pelvic floor, I would encourage them to have a trainer or um, a coach of some kind have an eye on what they're doing in class. There's a whole category of hypermobiles that brace really hard from their lower back. And when I see them bracing from their lower back, I know that their whole core is not working as well. And I know that we have to do some work on that, and pelvic floor goes with it. So if people are working on their pelvic floor, I would also encourage, or whatever issue is coming up that they need to have worked on, bladder issues, I would encourage them to also get work with their coach or with their trainer and make sure that what they have been doing gets corrected through their technique as well, so that they don't maybe have issues that come up later down the line.
2: Absolutely. I love that. So it's definitely a team approach. And if we're just seeing them in the clinic, we're not seeing how they're, what they're doing and how they're doing it. So that's incredibly valuable.
0: And it's all those day-to-day things that we do, right? That add up that if you're Janice seeing them, you know, once every couple of weeks or something, but in between they have all of these other uh, points that if you're working with them more frequently, I can see where there would be a lot of benefit in that. Absolutely. It's the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Right, (laughs) right. All
2: the little things adding up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Can you talk a little bit about um, the pubic symphysis and what it is, um, how there can be problems that can develop with the pubic symphysis and what kind of things you might do with that?
2: Mm -hmm. So the, the pelvis is like two halves and at the front, it joins together with a little cartilage disc. Okay. So it's a soft disc, and it's not meant to, to really move other than, you know, during pregnancy and labor and delivery, it does expand some, but it's meant to be a very stable structure. Sometimes it does move too much. (laughs) If you're someone is moving too much, it might move. And so uh, your pelvis could even rotate a little bit. So that can be, that can be painful. So we want to look at the actual alignment, but then also look at all of the muscle players that are attaching there on the pelvis. So you have the legs, you have the quads, you have the hamstrings, you have the hips, you have the glutes, you have the pelvic floor, you have the obturator internus, you have your other deep hip rotators. So how are they all impacting? Are they are they overactive, hypertonic, and tight? Are they stretched out and weak and loose? What and you might have a combination. So the front is tight, the back is loose, or you know, so figuring out what that equation looks like and then addressing those specific issues and really helping to uh, control and stabilize the pelvis. And like we kind of have talked about with other movements and positions, you may have to start small with small graded movements get successful with stabilizing and controlling that and then adding onto that and then i think what jennifer was saying having that carryover into the studio is critical because so what if we do fabulous things once or twice or whatever times a month if if there isn't regular, consistent carryover into how you're doing, what you're doing is not going to make a huge impact. So we don't want that shearing. We don't, because some people can even feel popping in their pubic symphysis, and that can be incredibly painful. We see that a lot during pregnancy, and that's probably the most common uh, presentation that we see. But, you know, if you're someone that's, that's super flexible, that you're at risk because that's not a bone. That's, that's a joint that has that cartilage, um, connecting it.
0: Do you see that very often in men? No. They
2: have very in fact, right off the top of my head, I can't think of a pubic symphysis problem that I saw in men. That doesn't mean that it couldn't exist. I just haven't seen it and it's not common.
0: Sure, sure. I have one male patient that feels that popping and stuff in the pubic symphysis and and Yeah,
2: but I wouldn't discount it either, you know, because Definitely. And especially if you're a person that has those extra, that extra give in your tissues. So I think a a good, I like to use external compression too. So we want the muscles to do the stabilizing, but sometimes that may not be enough. And so using some external compressions, it's called a sacroiliac joint, um, like a belt, a sacred iliac belt. There's a whole lot of different brands out there. You want one that's giving, that's able to give some compression, but also gives a little bit. So if it's so tight that you're locked down and you can't even rotate, that's too much. But some of these are just so stretchy and flexible. You know, how much, you know, impact is that really making? And and try out different things.
1: I think I lived in my SI belt for my two pregnancies. <laughs> it felt so different when I wasn't wearing it. It just felt like everything was like running away. I felt my, my pubic symphysis subluxed a couple of times, but never fully dislocated. And then that SI joint that I, I'm here to tell you, find a good belt and it really does make a difference. <laughs>
2: yes absolutely and the nice thing also for pregnancy is that a lot of them have also have like a a belly lift too so not only are you stabilizing that joint but also giving that belly because if you again are someone that has that stretchy tissue uh then then as that baby is growing think about all that stretch and that kind of that pressure and the gravity that's pulling down on that baby. So to support underneath and to give it a little bit of help to lift can really, can really give some relief.
0: And that's a great tie-in to my next question, which is going to be regarding um, the sacroiliac joint. So I know that a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't, even appreciate the fact that this is a joint also like the pubic (laughs) symphysis, right? (laughs) So if you could maybe explain a little bit um, how the SI joint works and what kind of problems you see with that.
2: Yeah, so very similar to what we were talking about with the pubic symphysis, but you have ligaments there in the back that help to connect these two halves of the pelvis to your sacrum. Your sacrum is kind of like a triangle bone at the base of your spine. So these ligaments connect the pelvis to the sacrum. And yes, ideally these ligaments are so strong and stable that you don't have any movement. but I'm here to tell you personally and professionally that movement can happen. You can have clicking and popping. And then so then you have these halves that have either rotated or kind of slipped up. And think about the how that kind of throws everything off, throws your muscle balance off and it can be very painful. So finding a PT that's good with sacroiliac joint uh, assessment and stabilization and the SI lock brace is a great option again ideally we want to assess all those muscles and how how they're doing are they tight are they weak are they uncoordinated um and then how are they working when you're doing the activity but in the event that you need something more there's a brace there are many different options out there for brace one of my favorite ones is from a company called optp it's called the si lock brace s-i-l-o-c and and they have a maternity version as well that i used uh uh, with certainly my third pregnancy, I don't think I used it with one or two, but um, it can really give a lot, of, a lot of relief and some external compression. And ideally, you don't want to have to be able to use that for function. But if you've tried everything and you need some extra support, what's the downside ultimately of, of wearing a brace so that you can do X, Y, or Z?
0: Well, and I think there's a there's a a misconception that whether it's a brace for your pelvis or for your wrist, um, I know I hear this a lot that, well, if I use a brace, then I'm going to develop weakness of the muscles. And sometimes you need that brace to stabilize the joint in order to use your muscles and your muscles will get weaker without the brace than if you use the brace and sometimes, exactly. yeah. And sometimes you need the brace just to get you over the hump too. You know, you've got a flare of something, you you know, you, if you put the brace on, then it'll kind of help calm down that local inflammation and be able to, um, you know, get you moving ahead more quickly than if you didn't use it. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, great. Well, I would love to hear about, um, the 501 C3 that you founded my pelvic floor muscles. What can you tell us about that? Yes so
2: basically you know I I've been a pelvic PT since I took that class in early 2000 and so it's been incredible to work with people in central Texas and to make an impact on their lives but then thinking about okay how can we impact people outside my sphere of influence and I've always wanted to like have better pelvic floor pictures and pelvic floor animations to be able to share with my patients so that was really the start like hey let's create some of these things let's create a YouTube video and The YouTube video, I just knew it was going to go viral and everything was going to be fantastic. It didn't go viral, but we're getting a lot of good engagements and social media. I think Instagram has been, you know, wow. You know, the, and, and honestly, I started off not even wanting to do my own voiceovers. Like I had stock photos and I had custom images of the pelvic floor, but I didn't even want to do the voiceover, but then I hired somebody to do the voiceover and I was like, There's no passion. (laughs) Where's your enthusiasm (laughs) for this topic? (laughs) So I started doing the voiceover and then I started sharing a little bit more on social media and now I'm just out there. You haven't seen my actual pelvic floor yet, but (laughs) um, it's been really exciting to be able to share my journey and my struggles and and I think that really helps to connect people with you too. So basically now with my PFM we have three it's we have a lot of different things happening but we have 35 different language translation groups now. So we're taking basically I'll make an infographic. For example, this one on constipation with the 14 sips which I'm going to post soon. So, um, we take that and then we give it to our volunteers and these other groups, and then they translate it, send us back the words, and then we create it in that language. And then they're able to share it with their sphere of influence. So kind of like the ripple effect, that's the ultimate goal is to be able to reach everyone. So pelvic health for all, everyone, everywhere, every language, that's really my mission and my vision and, it, I, it's taking a different path than I thought it would initially, but that's okay. I'm. I feel. I feel. I like. I'm floating on a cloud most days. I love doing what I'm doing. I love connecting with people. Like yesterday, some, a pelvic PT in Canada reached out and said, Hey, do you know of a pelvic PT in Bangalore, India? I have someone that's reaching out to me looking for someone there and like, well, I don't know. Let's put it on the Instagram story. So I put it up on the Instagram story and bam, I had somebody that said, Hey, I'm a pelvic PT in Bangalore. Here's my clinic information. Here's my number. And so we're able to connect people, you know, all over the world. And that alone is just, you know, it makes me almost want to cry. It's just such a happy feeling to be able to connect people with hope and help. So many people are out there suffering and they don't know that there's solutions out there. So that's, that's my PFM in a nutshell. It's a nonprofit. We have a membership program. We have provider health, uh, pelvic health webinars. Um, And we're just, we're just moving forward with that. So
1: I love your passion and your enthusiasm. It is so beautiful to see somebody able to live out this passion this way and to be able to serve so many other people. It's it's incredible. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. And thank you for the support because you never know who's listening to this that might be able to share with someone else. Even if you're not having, having a pelvic floor dysfunction, rather three out of four women will have pain with sex at some point in their life. Like this isn't a very minute population, right? And when you look at all of these issues, I would venture to say 99% of people have some kind of pelvic floor issue at some point in their lives. And so just being able to connect those symptoms and being empowered to know, okay, well, I have this, but there's hope, there's help. I don't have to live with this forever.
0: Yeah that's fabulous. I couldn't help but chuckle over your story about the voiceovers and stuff because ha- having met you fairly recently and seeing your fantastic, you know, quirky videos and things <laughs> that, you know, take a take a topic that can be really challenging and make it so much more interesting and um, you know, take out I think a lot of the anxiety that people might have going to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, and, you know, making it much easier to have conversations about these kind of things. So I, I think it's just fabulous what you're doing.
2: Oh, thank you. Well, you're amazing. I, ever since I first reached out to you, Linda, you've been incredible. I can't wait to continue to do more things with you and Jennifer, you as well. Like this is, I'm really honored to be a guest on here and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. We appreciate you coming on. Yes, most definitely. And can you? I know where to find you, thankfully. um, But could you share with everyone else where they can best find you, learn more about what you're doing, um, and you know, access some of those resources?
2: Yes, absolutely. So my patient kind of consumer oriented social media content is on the Instagram channel, my pelvic floor muscles. So no spaces, no dots, just my pelvic floor muscles. Then if you're someone that may be interested in multilingual resources, that Instagram channel is my PFM. And then if you're someone that may be interested in some of our provider pelvic health webinars and advanced learning, that Instagram channel is mypfm.ambassadors. So we have three Instagrams. Then we have the YouTube, which is my pelvic floor muscles, no spaces, and then mypfm.com and you can always email me too. So my email is connect at mypfm.com. So if you're, you're listening to this and you have a question and you're not sure about what I said, or you want additional resources, um, nothing is TMI. So, so email me, you make my day when you reach out because I'd love to connect people with help.
0: Great. And those courses, are they available for both patients and providers? So the bulk of the, the bulk of the courses at this point are for providers.
2: We are developing courses. So I have one right now It's called sex after baby. So that's for a consumer or regular person. Um, and I make, I'm creating two more for sure in 2021, and then we'll just see as time goes on. So I definitely want to have more content, but if you go to my Instagram, um, my pelvic floor muscles, if you go to the IGTV, I'm doing. Doing a lot of free interviews on different topics that may you may find your answers in there. So that's that's free. You don't have to go buy a class. So for example, um, this week we did one on anal fissures. And so that's like a 30 minute. If, if you're somebody that has anal vision, you know, that's, that's a good, that's a good resource. Also on, um, uh, you, there's just a variety. Linda and I even did one on hypermobility there. So that's on there. So I would encourage you to check those out. And if you want to see a course on a specific topic, you know, let me know, but I'm trying to create, you know, I'm trying to create as much as I can without having to charge for it too. ultimately there's costs and everything that we're doing, right. And all the platforms and and so forth. So I need to generate some revenue, but it's a nonprofit. And and the goal is to reach as many people as possible. So also creating a bunch of free stuff.
0: Well, the amount of material that you have on Instagram alone for free is amazing. I mean, you have such fantastic, you know, videos and, and graphics and reels and all kinds of things. In fact, you're the <laughs> one who taught me how to how to make a reel. So. Yes. I love it. I love so, seeing that. Yeah, so yeah. exciting. Yeah.
2: Thank you.
0: Well, this has been so much fun to chat with you, Janice. And we're so grateful to you for, for coming on the show today and sharing your expertise with our audience. Absolutely.
2: Thanks again so much for the opportunity, Linda and Jennifer. You guys are incredible. Keep doing what you're doing, because, you know, I, I think some people, I, I, I go off on these tracks, you know, but I am a hypermobile, mobile, person. And I, I think that there are some that there's this um, myth out there that there's just a few of us. That, that there's not very many of us. But I think that there's way more of us than is even recognized in the medical community. When I posted some of my stuff about hypermobility and pelvic organ prolapse, you would not imagine the comments and the feedback that I got on that. So I, I think that I think it's very important to help connect with this population and help them to understand, hey, this symptom may be, you know, impacting this and uh, making all those, fitting all those pieces of the puzzle
0: together yeah definitely well it's been so great to chat with you janice and to see you again Jen, of course and you all have been listening to bendy bodies with the hypermobility md today we have been speaking with physical therapist janice mitchell and janice we just are so grateful to you for coming on the bendy bodies podcast today and sharing your expertise and we'll catch you next time thanks again
2: everybody
0: bye-bye bye-bye Thank you for joining us for this episode of bendy bodies with the hypermobility md where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes be sure to subscribe to the bendy bodies youtube channel as well thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions Visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, navigating the diagnosis and management of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and hypermobility spectrum disorders, just by sharing what you love about the Bendy Bodies podcast. On Instagram, tag us at Bendy underscore bodies, and on Facebook at Bendy Bodies Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast is intended for general education only and does not constitute medical advice. Your own individual situation may vary. Do not make any changes without first seeking your own individual care from your physician. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bauerfeind Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.